0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Welcome once again. We're so glad you're here. Welcome uh, also families, any families who've come to celebrate uh, grads here as a part of our celebration. My name's Alan, and uh, and glad that you're here. I have a disclaimer to start off with. I don't like disclaimers because they can be distracting, and so we're supposed to be doing this, but there's a disclaimer. That you're not supposed to start with a disclaimer, but I am, and here's the disclaimer. That on the one hand, I'm uh, excited this morning. I'm excited for these, uh, these uh, students. I yesterday... Tammy and I went to a number of different uh, parties and uh, celebrated just some amazing uh, young men and women that, have, uh, that I've w- gotten to know here at Mountain Park that are graduating. And I, I know a number of the senior class. And all three of these uh, guys up on stage, I know them and I know their families. And so uh, very excited about, um, about the future, about their future, about students being in here today and, uh, and us moving forward with this. On the other hand, I am tired and grumpy. So I got, I got those two things going on. Uh, 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 the tired, grunt, so I was up with one of my kids last night, uh, and I'm on day five of an eating plan that my wife has put me on. <laughs> and that's the big one. That's the big one. It's, uh, it's called Whole30. And anybody familiar or heard of Whole30? Okay, not many. Well, uh, let me just uh, tell you what uh, Whole30 is. Whole30 is where you take, for 30 days, you have zero sugar. Yeah, I... <laughs> zero sugar, you have uh, no uh, breads and no pasta and no dairy. Yeah, I, thank you. I mean, I feel, you feel me. You're feeling this. this is I've never, ever, ever done anything like this in my life. Uh, and uh, what I just did in terms of saying what we're not allowed to do, the, you're not supposed to do that because that's being negative. You're not supposed to say the things you can't eat. You're supposed to be positive and say all the things that you still can eat. I get that. But let me just tell you, I'm positive that I'm tired and grumpy. So you, you can work that however you want uh, with with the whole deal. So I call it uh, Hell 30. That's kind, of the, that's kind of the thing I'm going with this year. And so I'm on day five of Hell 30. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. Let me just give you a little example. Um, on Friday night, we ate uh, something called spaghetti squash. And I know some of you have had this before. That's a flat-out lie. I mean, that's from the, from the word right from the beginning. There's nothing spaghetti about it. It doesn't smell, taste. doesn't matter what kind of meat or sauce you put on it. It's nowhere near spaghetti. It is, it's, it's an insult to all of pasta is what that is. It's, it should not be called that. But uh, so if I, if I seem a little bit grumpy, if I seem a little bit on edge, if I yell at any of you in particular, that's why. But uh, we'll just have grace for one another, right? And as we uh, enter into a time of grace, I want to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I am thankful for these students that we celebrate here today and we pray for. And uh, what an exciting future and a plan that you have for them. And, uh, and God, I, I do feel, I feel weak. And, uh, and what I love about that is that it's in our weakness always that you are strong. And so uh, I need that today, and I pray that um, collectively here in this room, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would would bring strength into our places of weakness, that we would leave this place stronger than how we came in, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, this year, we uh, have a theme of something new. We partially are going after that because we as a church are experiencing some pretty exciting new things this year. Uh, very excited about that. New, new staff, new um, uh, logo, new building, lots of new things that we're, we're walking out as the year goes on and we're celebrating that together. But, uh, but, but just as much as that, I mean, even more than that, when we look through the Bible story, we look through the overall story of God, there are multiple times where God invites his people throughout the story and and invites us into something new, to become something new, to experience something new. Where we are in the whole story right now is in the section I call the church, and it represents the 2,000 years between the story we find in the New Testament and the story that we're living in right now. We can't understand what's going on in the world today and in our lives today without having some sense of how we got here. So to just have some kind of markers or some kind of sense of how we got to this spot, that's the value and the importance of, of history. So if you would, jump back with me to 500 AD. So we're at 1500 years ago, and I wanna take a look at the story of a man named Benedict. We don't know if, I don't know if that's his first name or his last name. Uh, he's kind of like Madonna or Adele, where it's just he's just Benedict. He's just you just move forward. That's, he is the Benedict, and so uh, Benedict was a young man, not unlike our uh, graduates that we're celebrating here today, from a small town from Nursia, and when he wanted to continue his education, he went, of course to Rome. Uh, Nursia was in Italy, and if he went southwest from there, he could go to Rome and continue his education. Now, it's important to note that this was in the year 500 A.D., and if I could just back up a little bit and kind of uh, paint a picture of, of this city of Rome. Rome was the largest and most powerful city in the world, and we see plenty of evidence of this in the New Testament that it was the center of the Roman Empire. It was the place Paul said that he most wanted to go, that his, he longed to be able to one day go to Rome. He, he eventually did. He was imprisoned in Rome. And, uh, and, but that's where he wanted to go because he wanted to tell them about Jesus. He went to all these different cities and such. But where he really wanted to go was Rome. And during the time of the New Testament, during the time of Jesus and the followers of Jesus, Rome and the Roman Empire was very anti-Christian. They would kill Christians. The whole Colosseum in Rome was where they would kill Christians for sport. And so the empire was, uh, was incredibly uh, uh, against Christianity. But miraculously, I mean, uh, amazingly, uh, through uh, through the, the influence of Paul and other leaders who went into Rome, Christianity actually penetrated the city of Rome. Amazing. And then in the 4th century, it was the Emperor uh, Constantine who, uh, who made Christianity the official re- religion of the Roman Empire. Just amazing that all this would happen within a few hundred years. It became the official religion of the Roman Empire. This incredibly powerful and an influential and large city. Then in 410 AD the barbarians came up from the north the visigoths they came up from the north and they came in and they actually took over Rome. They actually wiped out Rome and it was unfathomable. No one could touch Rome. I mean no one could could have imagined that Rome would have been taken over. It was it was now God's city. I mean it was the center of Christianity and 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 you know That's why the Vatican was built there and all the history there, the center of of the Christian peace. And here it was taken over by a bunch of barbarians. It was just unfathomable. And that was the Rome in 500 AD that Benedict went to and he was devastated. Here was a city that used to have more than a million people and now it was around 100,000 people left in Rome and and it was just a, just a, a shadow of what it used to be. Now, before I continue with Benedict's story, let me just pause there for just a moment. There have been a number of, of books and uh, historians who uh, have make uh, connections between the history of the Roman Empire and the story of the United States, that here was Rome, this... Uh, city that, that believed it was untouchable. The empire believed it was untouchable. Sure, they had lots of enemies around, and they were fighting uh, so many people around, and, and, uh, but, but nobody was going to come and impact their way of life. No one was going to interrupt their way of doing life. But as the, uh, even though it became a Christian, you know, official Christian, Christian area, that they just plummeted into corruption and immorality, uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, in, in its later years, and um, the, the Christian view of marriage and family just, just completely was withering uh, away. Um, it was just deteriorating uh, there in this um, city and in the Roman Empire, and, um, and, uh, and then we see what happened there. Now, I'm not, I am not standing here today saying that I believe that the uh, United States will suffer the same fate as uh, the Roman Empire. I don't know enough about Rome or about the United States to make such a claim, but I do believe it's always wise for us to look back on history, to look back on on how things happened and, and why things happened the way they did, to see is there anything we can learn from that. It's always wise to look back on that with an open mind and say, okay, uh, uh, what happened there? Is there anything we can learn? What happened with that story is, is um, Christianity then made a... a a huge movement into Europe and so Europe is the place where we have these beautiful ancient cathedrals the most beautiful Christian buildings in the world are in, are, are, are in, that, in that part of the world and many of you have been and seen these places and so it's very much a Christian area and yet now Europe has drifted so far from those Christian roots many view Europe now as post-Christian have you ever heard that phrase? post-Christian, and some are even saying that, that the United States is, is, is right behind Europe in terms of its overall story of Christian influence, that the United States, some even say it currently is post-Christian, I, I don't think that's true, but, but some would say that the United States is moving towards being a post-Christian nation. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not making a, a declaration here today, I'm just saying, what do you think as you look at some of these pieces, do you make a comparison from your understanding of the Ro- the story of the Roman Empire and your own story? Um, if you're interested uh, in this, there's a number of books. One one book that has actually kind of you know influenced this talk that I read recently is called The Benedict Option, and uh, you can check that out if you like. If you kind of dig into that a little bit, but so let me jump back to Benedict. Okay, jump back to Benedict. 500 AD. Are you still with me? Just, uh, and, uh, 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 just stay with me here. I know history. Uh, you've had enough of that. And school's out. School's out for summer. But here we are in church. Today. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I'm 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 tired and I'm grumpy. So uh, so just deal with it. Uh, so here we are back to Benedict. Now, how did young Benedict respond to his devastation upon seeing the Rome that he uh, thought or hoped was something different? He chose to radically follow God, and he surrendered the privileged life that he was was moving towards. He was the son of a a government official in the Roman Empire, and so he uh, uh, he still had opportunities, great opportunities there, and he passed it all up. He took the words of Jesus very seriously, who who said, we are in the world, and Jesus says, Just like I am in the world, but I am not of the world. You are not to be of the world. He took those words very seriously. He took the words of Paul seriously. Who said, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. And so Benedict, who was on this path that was just in line with what was expected of him, etc., and he just looked at it all and he said, this is not the path for me. And he did something radically new radically different what he did is he went 40 miles east of rome and he went into caves i'm not saying do this young men and women i'm just saying this is what benedict did and i think there's something we can learn from him but he went into caves about 40 miles east of rome and he was a hermit living by himself just living off the land for three years he was on an eating plan called whole 30 no i didn't Um, (laughs) He was out in the caves for, for, for three years, and in that area, he um, uh, got the attention of a number of people who were doing monasteries. He wasn't the first one to be a part of a monastery. There were other monasteries going on, but there was a, a monastery near him who went up to him and learned him and watched him and saw what he was doing and said, said Benedict, would you come lead us? Would you be the abbot, the leader, the, the pastor of our monastery? And after three years of being a hermit on his own, he felt like he was prepared to do that, and he went and he did that. And over time, he developed, started, developed, and poured into 12 different monasteries in the region. I mean, this is, this is a significant leader, a significant thing that God was doing uh, uh, through, this, uh, th- through this young man. 12 different monasteries in the region. You gotta understand that, that the world around him the world in Rome and the other neighboring cities, it was falling apart. It was, it was being uh, ruled or really not ruled well by the barbarians. And the barbarians were coming in and they were leading like, like barbarians. Literally, like barbarians. I mean, that's where we get the phrase, oh, it's very barbaric. Well, these were the barbaricians. I mean, it was them, it was the actual ones who were leading and doing this in the cities around. Are you with me? Are you with me? I mean, they were barbarians, and so the world was falling apart. Government structures were falling apart. It was just a disaster. This was the movement, the start of the dark ages, and so it went on for centuries. It was a very difficult season in human history. Poverty was at a tremendously awful place, and it was these monasteries, when there was no government system to take care of these things, it was these Christians, these monasteries who were loving on those who were poor and taking care of those who were sick. Uh, Some say that Western civilization, listen to this, listen to this, if you've dozed off, just give me 30 seconds. Some say that Western civilization would not be what it is today without the monasteries of the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th century. These Benedictine monasteries that, that preserved Christianity, preserved the, the thoughts and the actions and the writings of Christianity. It was, they were preserved in the libraries of these monasteries while the world was going to a hole. Okay, that just, that just happened right there. Okay. Right? Uh, uh, um, so I mean, this is. Some say this is how significant this was, and so and so Benedict, Benedict, um, he started a new order, and that's the title of the message today: a new order, not to be confused with Star Wars, not to be confused with the British band from the eighties. Anybody? Every time I see you falling, I get down. Okay, some of you wanted to sing uh, with me. But, um, uh, but not to be confused with that, it's a, it's a new order. An order is a group of communities that was set apart in some way from the rest of civilization for the purpose of spiritual growth. So that's what was happening with these monasteries. It was a group of communities set apart from what the rest of the world was doing for the purpose of deep spiritual growth. In a sense, that's what we're supposed to be. I mean, we're supposed to be a community that is set apart, that is living, acting, being different from what the rest of the world is doing. We don't need to start a monastery to be a hermit in a cave somewhere to be be radically different in the lives that we're living. That, That we're supposed to be different we're supposed to respond different to the world because of Jesus in our lives. We're supposed to look different. Benedict was different. He was different. And he was a leader that, we're, uh, that we can learn so much from. What he did is he, he wrote the rule of St. Benedict. It wasn't called that at the time because he wasn't a saint at the time. It was just called the rule. But now we refer to it as the rule of St. Benedict. It was this short book that he wrote to help all of the monasteries that were following this system do it together and do it properly and do it right. I mean it was great leadership. It was it was 73 chapters to say this is how we are to function. The rule of St Benedict. It was it was uh, summarized in Latin as ora et labora. Ora et labora which sounds like a like a Ricky Martin song. I mean, you could do totally groove it, Ora et labora. Hey. But 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 here's, but what it means is Ora et labora. You Latin people, you smart people, you know what this you might this means? Pray and work. Ora et labora. Pray and work. What they would do every day: eight hours of prayer, eight hours of work, and eight hours of sleep. That that was the 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 simple way of going about life and the way they did that with the rhythm of their day is they would have a worship service every 3 hours so they would have one at midnight then they would have a worship service at 3 a.m. then at 6 a.m. then at 9 a.m. 12 etc every 3 hours throughout the day and some of you can't make it here by 9, by 10:30 <laughs> I mean, and, and just once a week. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. It just get some perspective here. I mean, what if we said, hey, we're going to start meeting at 3 a.m.? It would be like me and somebody else, and I probably wouldn't even show up. It would be that other person. That's it. I mean, this is the kind of, this is, this is the kind, of, and, and so this is what he set up, the rule of St. Benedict, and it became incredibly popular. It, it became used, uh, now it is used throughout the world. 1,500 years later, it is still the standard that, for, for monasteries in, in the West, in, in the world. It's still the standard. There are over 100 different Benedictine monasteries in the United States. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And they use the same rule that was written 1,500 years ago. It's incredibly popular, and it has, it has been unedited. It's the same thing. It's just this brilliantly written document. And what, what makes it so great, what makes it so popular is that it was doable, it wasn't written for the spiritual elite, for, the, for that very, very top, top percentile who could handle this kind of thing. I know it seems radical to us, but it was written for the common person. There were other monasteries who had expectations, and Benedict says, no, I want this for regular people to come and be a part of this. I want this to be a doable activity, a doable way of life for regular people so that people like you and me could say, that's doable, It is radical, no doubt about it, but it's doable. You see, uh, uh, in terms of transformation, in terms of leading towards transformation, uh, there's a sweet spot. There's always a sweet spot in terms of the balance of what's what's too too far out of reach and what is uh, not enough of a reach. There's always a sweet spot. If something is too difficult, then people won't show up. If something is too simple, then people won't engage. People won't be interested. In terms of spiritual growth, which is so central to what we do here and what we do on staff and the, and the pastors and the leaders here, uh, so in, uh, interested in our own spiritual growth and helping to encourage you, etc, in terms of the whole spiritual journey, if it's too heavy, people don't come. If it's too light, then people don't change. If it's too heavy, people don't come. If it's too light, people don't change. That's what the words in our lobby mean. That's what those those words up up on the wall mean. Safe place to visit, dangerous place to stay. We want to be a safe place for people to visit. We don't want anyone in our community, anyone who's visiting, any of your friends, any of you here, we don't want anyone to think that you have to get everything fixed before you can come and be a part of this community. Never, ever. We are a group of broken people. We are, we are wounded healers who are doing the best we can to help one another. You don't have to get it together before you come be a part of this. That's the safe part. We also want to be a dangerous place to stay. And what that means is we never want people to be able to ignore Jesus. We never want people to be able to ignore the radical change that Jesus calls for. He doesn't just ask for a little tweak here and there. He wants all of you. He wants your whole life. And that's the, that's the dangerous part. That's, the, that's the, the, the dangerous part that certainly, absolutely can be, uh, can be scary. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a radical piece that, um, that uh, Jesus is challenging us toward. So it's, it's uh, I think sometimes we... Um, I think the problem with the, with, the, uh, with the modern church, with the evangelical church, with Mountain Park Church here in Phoenix in this beautiful area, I think the problem is that we tend, if there's a, 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 a sweet spot in the middle where it's not too difficult and not too easy, that we tend to swing heavily towards too safe. We just, we, we just do our journeys, we walk out our journeys, we tend to, to swing way too hard towards the safe side. I mean, when's the last time that you have really challenged yourself, have really considered taking a leap forward? When's the last time you, you saw that modeled by anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else that you look up to? When, when's the last time you've been challenged towards that? Sometimes I think we just, we accept baby steps too much when God has something so dramatically great for us. That, you know, Jesus says to ask and you will receive, seek and you will find. Well, well how, how much are we bold enough to ask for? His brother James, he says, you have not because you ask not. And so there's, there's, there's this aggressiveness that is needed with that, that many of us are, are dipping our toes in the water, and then going, oh, we'll go a little bit deeper, and we'll go, oh, we'll go a little bit deeper, and we're just doing that for, for five years, and there are times where we just need to jump in. There are times where you just, just need to jump in, and you'll figure out halfway, halfway into the pool. Sometimes we need a little bit more of an aggressive journey in order to get where we want to go, and I think that's what the whole 30 thing is, is supposed to be all about. I think what, 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 that's what it is. Just to say, you're, you're going to stop cold turkey, and you're going to go through the sugar crash, and you're going to figure this whole thing out. Well, my daughter this week, uh, she was eating her spaghetti squash, blah, and 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 she said, and she said she just had a revelation. She said, "Dad, why don't you just reduce your sugar intake? Just eat your squash, you know." You know I was getting, you know tired and, uh, and angry, you know, upset at the time there, but she just said, why don't you just, if the whole thing, why don't you just reduce your your sugar uh, intake instead of just going cold turkey? Why don't you just um, uh, reduce it and then get to the place that you want to go? Why don't I do that? Because I can't. <laughs> I can't. I won't. There's no way. I'll say, oh yeah, I'm going to reduce my sugar intake. I'm definitely going to, is that ice cream? Because I'm I'm having the ice cream. There's no doubt about it. And sometimes I think it's, it's, way more powerful and effective to draw a solid line and then not go over it than it is to dance back and forth on that line, than it is to say, okay, I'm going back and forth. I'm going to do a little bit more forth than back. Okay, what does that mean at the end of the day? What does that mean at the end of 30 days? And so I think the power of this, let me just tell you, Whole30 eating food, that's, that's, that's just food. That's easy stuff. The real life is, is stuff that's outside of that. It's the life change outside of that. For, for me, uh, it's just food, but I think God is doing something, teaching um, uh, me and my wife and our, and our family something significant with this journey, and I'm just kind of waiting on what that's all like, because I want it to happen, because I'm really, really hungry. Uh, but I'm just, it's not about the food. I think something else is going on there. I think there's, there's an aggressiveness to it to say, to say draw the line. Draw the line in some significant, aggressive, powerful way and say, I am not crossing that line. Can we raise the bar in terms of our, of our uh, spiritual growth? Can we raise the bar? The, uh, a couple of years ago, we introduced to, to the church this marriage enrichment uh, plan called Reengage. And one of the things that we were concerned about with Reengage is that it's a 16 week program. And As a as a pastor here, I know it's hard to get people. You're busy. Everyone's busy, so it's hard to get people to commit to 16 weeks. How are we going to get hurting couples to do that? How are we going to get you to invite couples in your neighborhood to do something that's 16 weeks long? I mean, that's a that's a semester. That's a that's a significant deal. How are you going to get men to come and talk about what's going on in their lives and their feelings for 16 weeks? How are you going to make that happen? Is that reaching too, hard, too too far? Is that too difficult? Is that reaching too high? This past Monday, six days ago, was the wrap-up celebration of our most recent re-engage journey. 17 weeks ago, 44 couples, not individuals, couples signed up for re-engage. And on Monday night, 42 of them went through the whole process and celebrated together. That was, that's awesome. 42. Sometimes, sometimes we want the bar raised, and we will respond to it. And Monday night, I got to tell you, it was incredible. My heart was... Pounding out of my chest as I went home on Monday night, because uh, t- it was testimony after testimony of people getting up and not just saying uh, churchy answers like, "Well, we had some bumps in, in along the way, but things are better now. We've learned some good skills." <laughs> I mean, that's that's not a test. This, these were people who were getting up and they were saying boldly. They were they were identifying here are the secrets and here are the addictions that have been a major part of our journey, and we are we are moving towards being free from those things. It was so incredibly. Exciting exciting. There, there were divorced couples who were sitting together and dating again uh, in this journey to say, can we do this differently? Can we move forward with this? It was incredibly exciting. It's the church that I've always wanted to be a part of. I mean, it was incredibly exciting. to. Um, it was awesome. It was so fantastic. And, and sometimes we need to be aggressive. Uh, many of you are familiar with um, Dave Ramsey, who's the financial peace guy, and uh, he's just nationally known, internationally known with helping people get freedom in terms of their finances. And he uses this phrase, he talks about gazelle intensity. And he pulls that phrase from from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 5, that reads, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hunter that if, if the hunter, the one who wants to get his claws in you as the enemy is Satan, if Satan has his claws in you for, for some reason, for some addiction, something that's, hold, that's holding you back, that, that we are not to look at Satan, however you imagine, whatever word you have for the enemy, we're not to look and go, hey, excuse me, would you please let go? That the gazelle sprints, runs for his life, we run we say we say no way no way is this going to be a part of me i'm not going to take soft wimpy baby steps on this i am going to have gazelle intensity i'm going to get free from this i'm going to run i'm going to do all that i can all that i can to get free from this this is all that matters right now sometimes we just get a little too wimpy with this benedict did something new he did something he started a new order He brought spiritual stability at a time when the world was experiencing tremendous instability. And he wrote up the rule of St. Benedict. And he wrote up something that was doable for, for regular people. And many went and were a part of that. It wasn't too difficult. It wasn't too easy. It was in that sweet spot of radical transformation. So as you think about your something new as you think about what you wanna do with the rest of 2017, as you think about perhaps a something new that has been on your mind since January of this year and you haven't made a step towards that, um, what, is something, what is something radical that you could do for the next 30 days? If, if, if I'm gonna eat spaghetti squash, <laughs> then like I said, that's just a food thing. I want you to go beyond that. I think God is doing something beyond that in my, in my life. But what is something aggressive that you can do for the next 30 days? Not just a a soft little piece. What is something aggressive? Let me give you a few examples just to stir something up and see what God may may be able to use with this. Okay, If you want someone in your life to feel special, you know it's your role in God's kingdom to help somebody feel special, whether it's a parent or a spouse or a boyfriend, girlfriend, or a a kid, a particular kid who's going through a tough tough season, you want somebody to feel special, don't wait for their birthday and give them a nice card. Do something every day for the next 30 days. Write them a note, send them an email, do something so that by 10 days they go, what's going on here? Just blow them away with how much you love them and how much you want them to feel special. Just do something radical. Take a bigger step forward for 30 days, just 30 days, or 25 days. I got 25 days left. 25 or 30, whatever. Just kind of pick a time and commit to it. Draw a line and do it. Here's another example. If you, if you want to read your Bible and, and you, you're a believer and reading your Bible has always been a daunting you know, experience for you, and don't, don't read a few verses every week. You know, you kind of just read a few verses here and there, or whatever. You'll never get through it. Things a 1,000 pages. You'll never get through it. So for a 30-day period, can you take a 30-minute chunk every day, 30 minutes every day for 30 days, no exceptions? Once we make the exceptions, then it becomes one, two, three, four days a week that we don't do it. No exceptions. You just, you just draw the line and say, for 30 days, this is so important to me. I am making it work. I know you're busy. We're all busy. But we decide, what do we want to put in, in, in this chunk? What can we aggressively go after? One more example. If you want to get freedom from the, the, the hold that technology has on you, don't say, I'm going to watch less Netflix. Because what that means is, so you're just going to watch six shows, that day instead of, you know, I mean, you just kind of say something like less and it's not gonna have any impact on you. Here's a radical move. Take the power cord from your TV, remove it, give it to your neighbor and say, give it back to me in 30 days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got some of your attention now. <laughs> and don't go to the store and buy a different power cord. You give it to your neighbor. And you say, give this back to me in 10 days. Radical, just kind of boom, mind-blowing in your kitchen going, no, no. Why did we come to church today? Well, you identify something. You identify something and you say, I'm going sh- to show myself and those around me, and my family, et cetera, and people who know me that, that I, I'm, I'm, I can do this. that That these soft baby steps sometimes are not going to get us where we want to go. Sometimes we need to make an aggressive leap into the pool. Do something big and bold. Do something new and see how God shows up. If that happens for any of you, I would love to hear your stories. You're going to hear my Hell 30 story, let me assure you of that. So I would love to hear your story so that we can be encouraged together. Email me, send something to the church. I'd love to know what's going on with you guys. Let me pray with you, and then I'll let you go. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for um, inspiration from the whole story. God, thanks for inspiration from deep in Scripture, inspiration from men and women throughout history who have, who have not just said, I'm going to call myself a Christian, but men and women who have said, I'm going to live a radically different life. And so, Father, I pray that you would inspire us here in this room that, that we would be radically different because of you, that you would give us creativity in terms of what that looks like, that we would find this sweet spot that Benedict found where it's, it's doable, but it pushes us a little bit. God, we want to, to, to see and taste you and experience you more because of our willingness to dive deeper. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.